This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Super. We're doing well, huh? Lively bunch this morning. So, so here's what's going to happen. Here's a dream. I dream of this day. This day is going to happen. We're going to come up here and we're going to say, hey, good morning. There's going to be like a reciprocated good morning to you as well. Um, it's going to happen one day. It may take time. It may take time. That's okay. That's okay. But uh, we, will, we will get there. Um, that's all right. So you, you look good, though. Everybody looks good. Yeah, you're welcome. You look great. You look fantastic. So happy, happy weekend to you. Uh, my name is Corey, if I haven't met you. I know there's several new faces. Uh, one of the pastors here um, of Austin Life Church, Mike, is, is our other pastor. Hey, Mike. Um, say good morning to Mike there, uh, running slides for us. So, um, hey, that, that prayer slide, we may use it. So just, I told you otherwise, but it's, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's cool. It's cool. It's good. Um, so yeah, my, na- my name is Corey, one of the pastors. Um, we moved here, I guess, a little over two years ago uh, to start Austin Life Church. So uh, we are still very early on in the, the stage of things. Um, I, I was talking to someone, like, how do you talk about the progression of it? Um, and it's, we're at that place, wh- what is it? It's kind of like, I'd call us maybe like a, a, an angsty teenager, um, where we have some, some stability on our own. We can maybe do some things on our own, but we still need mom and dad also to help take care of us so that we can grow up and, and one day move out of the house. Um, so that's kind of where we are in this whole phase of things as a, as a church plant, is getting things started. Uh, so welcome, so glad that you are a part of that journey with us. And um, if you're just checking things out, um, then, then glad you're here. There's, there are other great churches in Austin if God would have you elsewhere. But um, if this is your church home, if you feel like God's leading you here, I invite you, come on. Like jump in with both feet and make it home, uh, and let's let's do this together. Uh, so, I, I am. Um, th- this year has been a a challenging year for me. I think that I think that the Lord is trying to teach me a lot about myself um, and who I am as a person, how I'm wired, um, and then how I I see and perceive and process life and and whatnot. And so, um, I I took the Enneagram recently. Anyone else ever take the Enneagram? Do you, do you ever just walk up to people and be like, like start talking in number form? Like, oh, I'm a two. What are you? And it's like this, it's all just numerical conversations. Um, so I, I found out that I am, I'm a two, uh, which is called the helper, um, which I, I didn't, I mean, okay, fine. That's, that works. Uh, so I, I took the Enneagram, found out I'm a two. Then I started reading this book called The Road Back to You um, that just kind of breaks down the different uh, types and personality types to help someone understand who they are so that they can better be the people, the person that God designed them to be. Uh, and so a- as a two, as the helper, it says that I'm, I'm typically warm and caring and giving. Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, like I, that's typically true. I'm, I'm down with that. And then as I kept reading, it said, sometimes you think you are serving God or other people when you're actually not. And I was like, time out, dude, hold on. You don't know me. Like, like what are you saying here? Um, and so, but then I started thinking about it. Oh, no, no, it said, <laughs> this is where it really started to kind of hit a little bit. It's like, oftentimes you will give, but you want something in return. Love, appreciation, attention, support. And I was like, dang it, that is so true. So often, like, I'll, I'll give and I'll do something good, 
But if you like drill down to the, the why behind it, oftentimes it's because I want to be acknowledged for doing something good. Right? Like I want to I serve and I want to go take out the trash and hope that someone over there is seeing me serving and taking out the trash. And then when I come back and they're like, hey, thanks for taking out the trash. Hey, no, no problem, no problem. Nothing like, right? Like it's no big deal. But in my heart, I'm like, did anybody notice that? Right? You know, or, or I'll come in here and this is where it gets really embarrassing is I'll be like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach for the glory of God. Praise God if I can get a little acknowledgement over here. Like that would be fantastic. But not me, more of him, but just a little bit would be great. Um, there's just, when I really drill down deep, there is this, man, there, like selfishness runs deep. Like really, really deep. And it is this current that oftentimes just like flows beneath so much of, of what I do and, and my motivations. And, and so this like road of, of self-discovery is apparently good for you. But I'm not liking it so much right now. Um, but, but, so, so, but here's the thing, right? If you're looking and you're like, great, this guy is like an egotistical, self-centered um, pastor. Fantastic. Love this place. I hear the well is great. Uh, maybe we should go <laughs> check out that church. You know, um, Tori's amazing, right? So it, it, here's, here's the thing, though, right? Here's the thing. You may not be a two. You may be a seven or a six or whatever it is. But all of us, however it's manifested, Deep down, selfishness runs deep, and pride runs really deep. We're, we're so often concerned in, in ourselves. The, the gigantic me, am I getting mine? Am I getting my recognition? Is this going to end up well for me? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it gladly, and I'm going to work hard, but I really hope at the end of the day this, this goes well for me. Right? That's, that's all of us, is that selfishness runs really, really deep. How often do we climb in the back seat of the car and let someone else have the front seat, right? How often do we go out to dinner and voluntarily sit like kind of in the corner at that awkward place of the table where you're like halfway on the table and half of your food's off the table while everybody else is in the middle of the table, you know, have, have the best seat? How often do we let other people go through line first, you know, and, and just if it runs out of food, we run out of food, but at least they got to eat, right? How often, how often do we do the right thing, but our motivation behind it is selfish? Like, we're, we're going to do the right thing, but deep down, we're, we're really hoping that, that we are kind of elevated and promoted and, and lifted up. Or how often is our truest motivation that God would be praised? How often do we stand up here and, and preach or sing, and our truest, pure motivation is that God is praised? Or that we, we serve and we go serve with kids and our true motivation is genuinely that God is glorified and that kids start to know Jesus. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only one that if we just ask why, 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 when we get down to the bottom of it, oftentimes it's, it's for me. A am I alone? Can I, little, maybe, no, yes? Cool, okay, I got a couple people who are willing to admit that they're, all right, right on. So, but the Bible teaches us from Genesis to Revelation, throughout the whole Bible, that the true mark of greatness, that the, that the path of abundant life, that the way to God's glory and our good is on the path of humility. Th that it's, it's less of me is ultimately what increases God's glory and ultimately what increases the good of others around us and our own good that we find the greatest joy and satisfaction and pleasure when we put on humility and we voluntarily take the back seat.
We see it throughout the Bible. In Mark chapter 10, um, so we're going to we're gonna be kind of all over the place today. So just verses will be on the screen, but if you just want to jump around also in the Bible, we're going to be all over the place some today. The next three weeks will be a little more steady in one spot. But um, Mark chapter 10, we, we see just kind of the depths of, of pride and of selfishness. When we get to, to Mark chapter 10, um, the, Jesus and the disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. Like they're, they're, they're walking to Jerusalem, and Jesus knows what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets there. It, it's the cross. That he's going to be betrayed by his friend. That he's going to be abandoned by his disciples. That he is going to be beaten and crucified. And that the oneness that he had with the Father is going to be ripped apart as he is separated from the presence of God because our sin is thrust on him. He knows that's what's in Jerusalem. And so get this, he says in, in Mark 10 verse 33, he says to his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus, he's talking, he's walking, he's got his disciples, he's like, hey, we're going to Jerusalem, and when we get there, I'm going to be killed. I'm, I'm going to be absolutely destroyed. And in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead as well. But so he's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection, and then the very next verse, and James and John, two of his closest friends, two of his inner group of three, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, I love that Matthew says that their mom was with him too. That their mom came up to, like, mom was like, hey, Jesus, can we, let me talk for a second. They come up to him and they say to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Can we just stop for a second and say, that's a bold move. Right? Like, that's, that's a bold, hey, Jesus, hey, 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 I want you to do something for me. Right? Like, that's just a bold move in and of itself. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Jesus, lift us up, shine the spotlight on us, give us recognition, make us known. God, lift us up, Jesus. Can you? Jesus, hey, hey, disciples, friends, I'm going to be killed. Hey, cool, Jesus, will you lift us up too? Like, will you exalt us? No, no, I I'm going to be crucified. Awesome. Hey, Jesus, what about, what about me? Like, will you lift me up? Imagine that somebody, a friend or a family member, let's say a family member comes up to you and they've been assigned to a mission, some, some like rescue operation that the chance of survival is really, really slim. And they sit you down and they're like, hey, I just, just wanted to tell you what's coming up. I've been assigned on this mission and, and it's to rescue these people, but the chance of me getting out is not great. Uh, this is probably the last time that we're going to see each other. Cool. Can I have the car? Got it. Awesome. Where am I in your will? Right, like, dumbfounded, right? Like, are you, be absurd. And yet the disciples, the, the, the very ones who said, yes, I will follow Jesus. The very ones who said, I love you, Jesus. The very ones who said that Jesus is the Messiah. The very ones who said, we will lay down our lives for Jesus. Selfishness runs really, really deep even among the people who are following after Christ. 
really deep. Jesus, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how he, like, how does he handle that conversation? Like, how does he do this, right? That's what they, they come to him and ask, and, and he goes on, and he's like, I don't think you can handle this. And they're like, no, no, Jesus, we got this. We're good. And then he goes on to verse he goes on to verse 42. Um, he says, Jesus called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus says, you know how people live. You know, you know how the world lives. They, they want to they promote their authority. They want to they flex their muscle and get their way. He says, but it shall not be so among you. That, that those who follow Jesus, there's a different way of life. That those who say, I, Jesus, I'm in, that everyone else is trying to, to climb to the top and to get theirs and to make sure that their name is on the marquee and in the headlight. And Jesus says, no, no, it shall not be with you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would first be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, hey, hey, here's the deal. Everyone around you is concerned with being great, making a name for themselves, rising to the top, looking out for, for number one. That's not how we're called to be. You, you want to be great? Then, then take the lowest seat. You, you want to rise up, then, then empty yourself and become a servant to all. You, you want to truly find the path of life? It's in humility. It's in less of you. In emptying yourself. Je Jesus makes it incredibly clear that this is the path of life. And this is his heart. This is why he came. Not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve. Our Savior, Jesus, took the position of the lower seat in order to serve you and me. And now that is our call and joy to follow in his footsteps. And to put on humility. Today we're, we're starting a four-week series on humility. And for the ladies, I know last Thursday, and, and, and if you haven't started yet, they're, they're starting a study on humility. And a lot of it is through this book, um, creatively titled Humility, uh, by Andrew Murray. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic book. And so ladies, if you want to still jump in um, to be a part of that study, you can check in with Steph after service or text her. Um, it's not too late to get going. Uh, we've ordered more books, so that we have a few of these, and there'll be more next week. We'd love to give them away. We just think it's that good of a book. Um, that we would just love for you to have it. It's a little book. Um, I like little books. I, I'm a great book starter, terrible book finisher. Um, so book, little books are nice. Um, but it is, it is fantastic. And one of the things that he says, Murray says in his book. Sorry. He says this humility is not a thing that will come of itself, but it must be made the object of special desire and prayer and faith and practice. So this humility that Jesus calls us to, this, this taking the, the, the lower seat, emptying of oneself, he's, it, it, it's, it's not something that's just going to, you're not going to casually drift into it. 
right? You're not going to wake up a week down the road or two weeks down the road or a year down the road and go, man, how did that happen? I'm the most humble person ever. Like, it's because our nature is selfish. And, and, and our natural sinful default is to lift oneself up. And so he says that it's got to be made the object of special desire and prayer and faith and practice. And so before we go any further, I just wanted to take a second and pray. I, d- I just wanted, wanted us to slow down for a second. And, and Psalm 139 is a prayer that I have been um, praying recently. And David says to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. He says, God, look inside of my heart to the very depths of I am. Look at all of my thoughts, every motive that I have. Search it all and see if there's anything in me that that is grievous, that is sinful, that is wrong. And he says, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. And so I just wanted to take a second. And and however those words, however prayer, whatever those words come to to you, that, that you would just in your own mind and heart, that you would pray to God and say, all right, God, search me and know me. Like, examine my heart and my mind, and if there's any ounce of pride, if there's any way that I'm elevating myself and holding tightly to my way, would you expose it and remove it and lead me to the way of everlasting? So let's just take a second and pray, and then we'll, we'll pick back up, if that's okay. God, search us Uh, as a good father, as a, as the great physician, will you examine our hearts and our minds and our lives, and would you, would you point out any poison of pride that is in us, and would you give us the humility to surrender it to you, that we would find the remedy of life, the humility of Jesus. God, would you guard us from the lies of the devil? from the distraction and the deception that he wants us to think we know best? Would you protect our minds and our hearts from that lie? Would you give us the strength to hold tightly to your truth, even when it's hard to believe and it's hard to walk out? God, we ask that by your grace and your mercy, for your glory, for our good. We pray in Jesus. Amen. So humility is the path to life. It is the the vehicle, the conduit to abundant life. So so what is humility? I think that we can describe it, define it many ways. Um, This is the definition based off of just reading through this book and what we see in scripture. This is the definition I wrote down for humility. 
Humility is the disappearing of self. I love that phrase. Humility is the disappearing of self that God may be all in, in me and through me to others. Humility is the, the disappearing of self that God may be all in me and through me to others. It, it, it is an intentional emptying. It's not going to happen by accident. It is an intentional choice to, to lay myself down and to die to my own ways that he may rise up. Uh, Philippians 2, Paul gives us uh, a great definition of humility. He says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do, do nothing, not some things, not most things, not 99% of things, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here's the deal. We, we know what the Bible is saying here. Right? We, we know what it says, to do nothing in selfish ambition. Like That doesn't take a, a Greek scholar to, to teach us, like, oh, what does he mean here? It means do nothing in selfishness. And, and so we, we get to make the choice now of, am I going to seek to obey what the Bible says or not? Like That's up to us now. So do nothing in selfish, selfish ambition. Humility is not selfish, it is selfless. Humility is not selfish, it's selfless. Humility is not putting myself first, but it's putting another first. Humility is not shining the spotlight on myself, but it's shining the spotlight on another. Humility is not lifting myself up, but it is the choice of, of emptying myself in order to lift another up above myself. That's what humility is. Less of me, more of you. And in the order that God gives us, it's less of me, more of God and then less of me, more of you. Uh, like th that's the order that the Bible gives us. God first, others second. I I I'll trust that I'll be taken care of after that. It's the intentional disappearing of self that God may be all in me and through me to others. And this humility is the only way to life. It's the only path to life, to abundant life for God's glory and our good is through humility. Murray writes in, in chapter one of this book, it's in, in his footnote, he says, pride may die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride may die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. The two cannot coexist. The heart of pride is the lifting up of myself. And so the heart of pride is like, hey, God, I know you're supposed to be in, in charge. I know you're supposed to be ultimate. But when my heart is prideful, I just kind of want you to move over to the side. Like, maybe you don't have to step off your throne. I'll just put my throne next to you. And maybe we can do this together, right? But the heart of pride is this desire to be like God. In Isaiah, we see that the devil was an angel. The devil was a created angelic being before being sent to hell. But the heart of the devil was to be like God. What was to revolt and usurp the authority of God himself. And so the devil was cast down along with those other angels that had the heart of pride. And, and so the, the heart of pride is satanic at its root. It is this heart to be like God. And so that's why James 4 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because God cannot coexist with pride. 
I cannot hold tightly to myself and tightly to God at the same time. And so God actively opposes the proud but, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, just stop and think about that for a second. That is from the Bible. That's not, I'm not telling you that. That is what the Bible says, that in our pride, the God of the world is actively in opposition to us. That's a fight we're not going to win. That when we are prideful, we are actively standing in opposition to the holy God of the world. And we grumble and we wonder sometimes, like, man, why is God not blessing me? Like, I'm praying and I'm seeking the favor of God. Why is he not blessing me? And we have to ask the question, is it because at some level I'm actively in opposition to him? Because I want to elevate my name. I, I want my glory. God will not share his glory. He will not allow a rival to take his spot. That is why humility is the path of life. Because pride is an active opposition to God. Murray gives this illustration that just as water rushes in to fill the lowest point of a, of a riverbed, just as water, if it's filling up an empty riverbed, it's going to rush to the lowest point. He says the active spirit of God, the living water of the spirit of God, rushes in to fill the lowest and most humble souls. That as we humble ourselves, the grace of God is the one that exalts us and lifts us up. That as we willingly empty ourselves, the spirit of living, living water fills us up with his presence and his power. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I, don't think, I, don't, I just don't think that I can adequately express the importance of this. Is that we're called to put on humility for his glory and for our good. This is the theme we see from Genesis to Revelation. So turn to Genesis chapter 1. We'll just look at this theme for a second. Genesis chapter 1, first page 1. The very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, let's do this out loud. I'm not typically an out loud person, but we're going to do this tonight. In the beginning... Who created the heavens and the earth? God. In the beginning, God spoke into creation the heavens and the earth. Jump over to verse 26. Then who? God said, let us make man in our image. Ver verse 27. So God created man in his own image. I, I've asked this before, and, it, and it's silly, but it makes the point. Do, can any of you think back far enough where before you were born, you were talking with God about when you'd be born and, and what characteristics you'd have and that you'd be born in the United States of America? And the you know, like, any of y'all remember that conversation you had with God before you were created? I, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing no. And, and that's because we are the created, not the creator. 
We didn't bargain with God for, for the set of characteristics that we had. I didn't, I didn't bargain with God like, hey, would you let me be born here? Would you let me be born now? Would you place me in this time? That was God's choosing. That was his choice to create me. As the created, I am by design beneath the creator. And so things operate best when they operate according to their design. Things go best when they, when they operate how they're designed. So if I'm designed to be humbled beneath God, the creator, then I'm only going to break things when I try to go around that. When, when my kids, as smart as they are, tell me, hey, I, I understand better than you. Right? Like, you, ever, you ever had that conversation with mom or dad where you've gotten to the ripe old age of, I don't know, nine or ten, and all of a sudden you now know everything? And you're like, I got this. I read this on Wikipedia. It doesn't go well, right? Because, because that's not how we're designed or created. So by creation, we are designed to be in a posture of humility to God. Revelation 4, verse 11. So Genesis 1, we got that, right? Like God's the creator. We're the created just simply by that order. There's somebody who's greater than us. Revelation 4, when we go to the very end, the, the, the elders are singing, Worthy are you, our Lord and God Almighty. Why is he worthy? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That in the very end, we're going to know our position. That he is the creator, and we are the created, and therefore that demands us to worship him. Not the other way around. We're created by nature. If you turn to Psalm 147, and maybe just spend some time reading this psalm this week. So kind of right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm, psalm chapter 147. He begins, he says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do what we're doing here. Worship God. Sing praise. Pray. Read his word. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Why? Why is it good? Because the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Verse 6, key here. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass on, grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who were humbled before him. You want the pleasure of God on you? The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him who humble themselves before him and those who hope in his steadfast love. The active agent in this psalm is God, not you and me. And so he says, humble yourself, worship him, fear him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who do that. The place of abundance of life is in humility before God. The end of Genesis chapter one, so I'm, so, I'm sorry, I told you I'm gonna flip back, go all the way back to the very beginning. The end of chapter one, God creates everything, the heavens and the earth, and he creates Adam and Eve, and he places them in his world. And Genesis chapter 1 ends with, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very 
good. That God's created design of humanity to be in humble worship and submission and dependence on him is the creation of good. That is our best. That is God's design that we will find our best, our good in humility as we properly position ourselves beneath him to worship him. The place of eternal, unceasing, ever-increasing joy is in worshiping and in submitting and depending on God alone, emptying ourselves that he may be all in us and through us. That is what we are created for. That is the path to life. But we all know that's not the path we live on all too often, right? This, this existence of it was very good. We all know that we live in a world that's not very good. It didn't take us long to figure that out, to know that something was wrong, that there's brokenness and guilt and conflict and shame and hurt. And the Bible tells us that the root of all of that, the root of the brokenness that you feel, the root of the hurt that you experience, the root of the, the shame that you have, the root of the guilt that, that, that weighs on you, the root of the, the hurt done to you, at the root of everything is pride, is a desire for selfish ambition. That's what we see in Genesis 3. That's what we see the temptation of Adam and Eve is from the devil. So if you look in verse 1, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The, 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 the devil was, he's deceptive, always has been. He's crafty. Pride is sneaky and subtle. It's not just going to show up and be like, hey, here's pride. Let's be arrogant. It's sneaky and subtle, and it slowly builds at the rate where you don't expect it, and then the world crumbles and falls apart around you, and at the root of it was pride that slowly built. The devil, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, now nah, you won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. John 8 says that the devil is the father of all lies. Every lie that you've ever believed, every lie that you've ever told, every deception that's ever come into your world is orchestrated and led by the father of all lies. And the end that he has in mind is destruction. And he wants to whisper that lie. You can be like God. You can call your own shots. You know best. Yeah, the Bible says this, but come on, we're in the 21st century. Experience in life says this. You're smart, you're educated, you've lived enough. You can put things together that the outcome is probably going to be like this if that's what you do. Why don't, why don't you make, why don't you call the shots? Why, why don't you, and it, we would never say this, right? We would never say I want to be like God, but that's what it is. Why don't you go ahead and, and decide what's best for you? You ever heard that deception, that, 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 that temptation to choose something that you know is not what God says, but man, that fruit, 
what it says, right? Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for, fo- for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and it was desired to make one wise, it looked good, it looked appealing. She knew what God said. She thought she could decide better. And so she chooses her own way. Pride enters the world and everything falls apart. I mean, look what happens in verse 7, right? It says that, or let's keep reading. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They eat, and immediately their next move is to hide. They go their own way, and immediately the next thing they do, the Bible says, is they hide. Shame floods them. Guilt crashes on them. And so now they're trying to hide be- because they're ashamed, because, they, because pride has ruined them. It didn't lead to life. It led to death. It says in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Apparently this was a normal thing. And the man and his wife, what did they do? hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Psalm 1611 says the fullness of joy is in his presence. The fullness of joy is in his presence, but pride has now so confused them that they think the better thing is to hide from his presence. Shame has so covered them that they think I have got to stay away from his presence, the fullness of joy, because I'm broken, I'm ashamed, I'm guilty. Fear floods them. Verse 9, the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. And because I was afraid, because I was naked, I hid myself. You see, the path of life is humility, where we're in dependence to God. It's very good. The path of the devil is pride. It's deception, and it makes us think we know best. And the result of pride is brokenness and death. We hide because of Genesis 3, because of of sin, because of pride. We're ashamed because of brokenness, because of pride. It is the root of all sin and evil in our lives. That's why we've got to have humility restored. We've got to have humility back in our life. Jesus came that he would restore humility to us. Jesus came that this humility that was removed in Genesis 3 could be brought back in. And so Jesus, God himself, put on humility and he came and he stood in our place so that we can by faith trust him and receive the very humility of Christ that can restore us back to a relationship with God. See, this, this theme of humility and pride, it's, it's from Genesis to Revelation. It's from the beginning to end. We are living in it. And humility is the path of life and pride is the path of death and the devil is crafty and deceptive and he wants us to subtly grab hold of pride and to think we know best and Jesus in his humility is saying, no, no, don't do it. Trust me. Trust me. Receive the humility of Christ and in it find life. 
Murray says that our relationship exists with God through humility. It is the conduit to life. And he says, a quote in his chapter, he says, without this, without humility, there can be no true abiding in God's presence. We cannot abide in his presence if we're holding tightly to pride. Y- y'all hear that. Don't, don't think like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly good, but there's just this area I can't let go of. We cannot abide in his presence with, with pride or experience of his favor and the power of his spirit. Without this, without humility, there's n- no abiding faith, no love or joy or strength can, can exist. Humility is the only soil which the graces root. The lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. We've got to have that humility restored in us. We've got to have it breathed back into our soul so that we can have the right attitude before God and then before one another. Jesus is that humility. Next week, we're just going to hang out in Philippians 2 and just look at the humility of Christ. We're just going to think on and study the humility of Jesus because that will change everything. But I, I don't want to not give the invitation that Jesus gives. The invitation for life that is found in humility. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him humble himself. Let him empty himself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and put Jesus out in front. That's the invitation to life. He says, for whoever would save his life, whoever tries to hold on to his life, whoever wants to lift his life up, the result of that, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Look, we, we believe that every person is looking to make the most out of life. It's how God has created us. And the answer to the path of life that we are looking for is in humility. When we humbly deny ourselves take up our cross and follow Jesus. I mean, and so, for some of you, you may be here and, and you've never actually done that. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You, you may have been in church your entire life. You may know all the right answers. You may be able to repeat back to me what it means, but you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus. That was me. I was 15, and I was a good church kid. I prayed some prayer when I was seven. I got baptized. I mean, I knew all the right answers, but I was terrified that I would die and go to hell because I was trusting in a prayer, not in the Jesus of the prayer. Huge difference. And so when I was 15, I heard God say, Corey, you can either live for me or you can live for yourself, but you cannot do both. You cannot hold tightly to your way and to my way. It's one or the other. And at that point, my life forever changed. And I, I, mean, I, I want to follow you. And I haven't been perfect at all. 
but, but my life is surrendered to him and what it means in humility now when I mess up, when I put on pride, is that I'm quick to repent and say, no, that's not me and to confess it and to return back to Jesus. And so some of you, this is the invitation to step into a relationship with Jesus, to surrender your way for his, to trust that by his death, he'll forgive your sins and in his resurrection, he will give you a new life with him. And for others, it's the invitation to confess and repent from any pride that you've been holding on to and to be returned back into the presence of God. Not that God has left you, but when we hold tightly to pride, we put an obstacle in between us and God. He hasn't abandoned us. We've chosen to put something in between. And so the invitation is, hey, let it go. Repent of it. Return for seasons of refreshment. He's gracious and merciful. But the only way is through humility. We can't hold tightly to ourselves and tightly to God at the same time. We've got to let go of one or the other. My prayer and hope is that you'll let go of self. Hold tightly to him. And in that, find the life that he promised. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.